0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. So we are continuing uh, in our sermon series, Powerful Prayers. This is week four, continuing to look at a couple of the powerful prayers that Jesus prayed and what they teach us about the who, what, when, where, and why of praying, and we're going to be jumping into those this morning. We've already covered the who, what, and when. And we'll be looking at the where of prayer. The question that we'll be answering is, where do we pray? Where do we pray? And maybe you're thinking this moment, uh, why is that important? Why is that important? Well, We'll, we'll get to there in, in a moment. But before we do, can we pray together? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we go to the Lord? Lord, we thank you that you are here. We know that you are everywhere. But we ask that you would manifest your presence here to us that God we would feel you. We would know you We would encounter you those of us who are far from you that you would draw us close to you today Those who are not in relationship I pray God that we would begin relationship and those who are in relationship God that you would grow us deeper and stronger in that relationship with you through your word We love you. We praise you and we celebrate what you're doing in our hearts and lives and in this church your body in Jesus name amen amen when I was in high school when I was in high school back in the late 90s early 2000s I know it's shocking for some right like really you look good (laughs) back in those days the big thing that we used to do a lot was paintball like we people were into paintball back then anybody remember paintball right Uh, so a group of us guys every almost every Saturday morning Uh, My cousin was a part of it. We would go down and play paintball down by the river, San Joaquin River, right off of Skaggs Bridge. Do you remember that year that it had flooded out and it washed out the entire bridge, and then they had to do some work? Well, after the waters resided, receded, I don't know what the word is. When the waters went down, they had created all these awesome pockets and places to play paintball down there. And so we would gather together and go down and play and shoot each other and have a lot of fun. And uh, it was great. It got expensive, but it was a lot of fun. Even we had some of the guys who went on to become sponsored and went and played in tournaments and did all of that. And it was it was a good time. But what I thought was interesting about it was my reaction when we would play uh, together. All of a sudden, I I remember the feeling of being surrounded by people who wanted to hurt me, because that's what paintball is really. It doesn't. It's not soft. You know, it's not like ooh that tickle. You know what I mean when they shoot you. <laughs> And I remember being surrounded and feeling the, the pain was about to come. And I was nervous. My heart started beating really fast. And in that moment, I knew I'm in a hostile environment. It was the closest that I ever got to war. And I pray that it will be the, the closest thing that I ever experienced in, uh, to war. But in that moment, maybe I know it sounds dumb, but in that moment, I prayed out to God. Oh, Lord, deliver me from evil in the name of Jesus surround surrounded. Protect me. I remember crying out to God in that moment because I was in a hostile environment. Lord, help me. And for those couple of Saturday, uh, hours on a Saturday, we created literally a hostile environment for each other. And we had a lot of fun doing it. But I remember the, the feeling of it. And you're really aware of what's going on around you. All of a sudden, you know when you're you're doing something, you're walking on leaves, you don't know, realize how loud they are until you're trying to be really quiet, and then everything is super loud, everything that you do. Like you move your arm like, shh, it brushed up against my jacket. I'm sure they heard it a mile away, you know? Louder, the leaves are a lot louder than you remember. You break a twig, and you're like, I'm dead. And you're really aware of everyone else's movements too, and you're always looking for brush and seeing if it moved and if it was a person. And you were really aware of everyone else's movements and your movements And you didn't want to get caught in the open. And in fact, the three things that I learned when I played paintball with my cousins and a few of the other guys is that if we really wanted to win the battle, we needed three things to win on that morning. We needed good cover. We needed plenty of ammunition. And we needed teamwork. Those things helped us win. Without them, we were sitting ducks. We just didn't do very well. And those days of playing paintball with my buddies taught me some valuable lessons about how to handle hostile situations. What should I do when life gets hostile? And maybe maybe you didn't grow up playing paintball uh, with pretend hostility and pretend hostile environments. Maybe you actually had real hostility. Maybe you had real hostile environments. Maybe at home or the workplace or at school and you felt your heart beating and more aware of what's going on around you. and How do I survive this moment? Maybe it wasn't pretend for you like it was for me. But either case, you found yourself in a hostile environment. And what did you do when you are in that place? The fact is, really, we live in a hostile world, don't we? Yes. We live in a world that's hostile. It's an environment that is hostile to us. Especially those who call themselves followers of Jesus. It is a hostile environment. Not only in our nation, where there's an agenda to silence the, the Christ, uh, Christian voice in the workplace and in schools and in the public sphere and even with policymakers, but there's also around the world there are Christians who are daily losing their lives because they confess their faith in Jesus. It's a hostile environment. In fact, today at the end of service, like I said, we're going to baptize people. But there are some some people, some Christians in other countries that when they baptize when they get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit declaring that they are no longer living the way they used to live or living in the religion they used to live in, then that makes them a target. And there are some believers even today who after they get baptized, a week later they're murdered in the streets because of their confession of faith. That's still happening today. and not something that they happened back in the day, back in the Roman Empire. It happens now today. There are martyrs who are dying for the name of Jesus because they live in a hostile environment. Thank God that we live in a country where we can freely declare our faith in Jesus, that we can freely say, I believe in Jesus. And there might be hostile environments at workplace. You might get ridiculed, but no one's going around trying to kill you because you've declared your faith in Jesus. But no matter where we at, where we're at in life, we have hostility towards us. Because we live in a hostile world blows my mind that people, especially in Muslim countries where, they, where it is illegal to convert to Christianity, there are still people who say it is worth it to lose my life and gain eternity. I pray to God that we that never happens in our country, but I still pray that we would have that same fervency in our hearts to say, God, it's worth it no matter what it costs me. I'm willing to live for you in a hostile environment. See, Jesus knew as his followers that we would be in a hostile environment because of our faith. He knew it. That's why he prayed the way he prayed. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, or you can open up the YouVersion Bible app, and you can follow along with the notes and the verses there as well, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Jesus is praying here for his disciples and the church that will be established once he leaves the earth, And we've already covered the first, first portion of this prayer, 1 through 13, and now we're jumping into verse 14 this morning. If you'll follow along with me, it says this, I have given them your word. Jesus is t- talking to the Father, and he's saying, I have given them, talking about us, his disciples. He's saying, your word, Father, I have given them your word. And he says, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I want to pause there for a moment and, and, and say something to us. There is something powerful about God's word that brings transformation in our lives. Would you agree? There is something powerful that when the word of God is spoken to us and the word of God becomes deep inside of us, that it transforms us to the point that we no longer look like the rest of the world. Even so much transformation that the world now disowns us, abandons us, And now seeks to destroy us. There's a transformation when the word of God gets in our hearts that shifts us somehow. It's the word of God, the truth of God, from God, about God, to God's people. And that truth about who God is and what he's done for us changes us from the inside out. That change so powerful that the world doesn't recognize us as being a part of it anymore. So the question that we need to answer this morning is then, what defines the world as Jesus says it in this prayer? If we're not like the world, then what is the world like? The world here, as Jesus describes it, is a world in open rebellion against God, ruled by the evil one, by the devil. That's the world that he's talking about, a world in open rebellion, a world ruled by sin. Filled with people who follow their own wisdom and their own reason. You know the saying around today's is, is that I live my truth, you live your truth. Have you heard of that? Did anybody say that? That is literally the definition of what it means to be the world. Living by your own reason, by your own wisdom. I know it's right for me, you know it's right for you, and hopefully our rights don't conflict each other. But sadly, in our society today, that's exactly where we find ourselves. People saying, I know what's right. Others saying, no, this is right. And our rights are coming up against each other. And now there's war. Now we find ourselves in a hostile environment. Filled with our own living of my truth. The world is those who don't recognize God as the source of life. Or the source of wisdom or the source of knowledge. The world is ran by pride, thinking that we're in charge and selfish desire, seeing what we want and taking it because it pleases us. This is what the Bible calls covetousness. I see it. I want it because it makes me feel good. And that's how we live our lives. This is our nation. This is who we are as people. Ran by pride and selfish desire. I'm in charge. And I take what, what I want when I want it and for as long as I want it. This is what the world is. But as someone who desires to follow Jesus, we should be the very opposite of these things, which would cause the world to hate us and disown us. As a follower of Jesus, we would then be someone who doesn't rebel against God, but obeys him in his word. If we are in rebellion with God, then we are are on the side of the world who God says, my people are not a part of. If we're to be followers of Jesus, then we shouldn't be ruled by sin, and we don't give in to sinful desires. Sin doesn't rule over us. If we're followers of Jesus, we don't follow our own wisdom or our own reason or our own truth, but we submit our lives to God's truth found in his word. We allow that to dictate what we do, what we say, and what we believe, not what we feel, because feelings are fleeting, and feelings can distract and distort what we know to be true believers recognize that God is the source of all life and all the source of all knowledge and wisdom and a believer is someone who values and protects all life especially human life because we believe that God is the one who creates life where we believe that God is the one who sustains life and I know that right now we are people who are, should not be led by pride or selfish desire to meet our own wants and needs, but to humble ourselves and to seek and serve others. But because of this, our world is turned upside down. I think this is, there's a pic, perfect picture of what's happening right now in our country around the abortion laws being made in various states. And I'm not here to belittle or shame those who've had an abortion or have family members that have had an abortion. I'm not out to speak out against them. We're called to love. And I'm not here to debate the topic on ethical what ifs. But I am here to say as a follower of Jesus, my responsibility is to protect all life from the moment that God begins to grow life inside the womb. From the moment that that cell begins to divide, there is life being created. And as believers, we're called to protect life, no matter how controversial it might seem. Because that's the reason why the world speaks out against it. As if we're stealing the rights of somebody when we're trying to protect the rights of others. And as believers, we're called to do that, to stand up for that. And more. And more. But because of our viewpoint as believers, the world hates us. Turns against us, calls us haters when we are lovers, calls us bigoted when we seek to unite, calls us people who hate when we don't hate. So, what do we do? What are we supposed to do in this moment? Are we supposed to hide from the world? Are we supposed to separate from this world? I had some friends that said, Man, when it all goes down and everybody starts shooting, I'm just gonna run to the mountains. I'm just going to live in the mountains and i'll be there and i got my go bag literally to have a go bag ready to go and i'm not trying to make fun of them i'm just wondering is that what we're supposed to do run when things get crazy hide are we supposed to leave them to their own devices and say well look i'm saved so y'all let it burn let it burn i'm good is that should, should that be our mentality Verse 15 says this, when Jesus was praying, he says, I do not ask that you take them, Father, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As we started this series, remember, we went through the Lord's prayer where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is praying the same prayer. God, when you keep them in the fire, help them not to be burned. When they're in the middle of it, God, don't remove them, just keep them pure. Don't allow them to fall to temptation. Don't allow them to be overcome by sin. We all know that there's going to be hardships. There'll be temptations, but we don't have to fall to it. Even Jesus prays this prayer again a second time. Keep them from the evil one. Knowing that temptation is always there to try to bring us down. But he doesn't say remove them from the world. No, he says keep them in it. Verse 16 says this. They Again, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he says this in verse 17, sanctify them or make them pure, make them holy, separate them for the holy purpose of serving you and, and do this in your truth. And he says the word is truth. So what is he saying here? That purity and holiness is not something that we try to do. That's what religion does. We gotta look a certain way. We gotta act a certain way. We gotta talk a certain way. And we have to govern ourselves so that we become pure. And now we become the one who is sanctifying ourselves. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, Lord, help them to sanctify themselves. No, he said, God, sanctify them. How? Through your word, through the truth of your word. You want to know how to live a holy life, how to live a righteous life? Don't just try harder because you're trying harder will fail every time. But I would say this to you. Get into the word of God. Say, God, I'm struggling. I'm falling into temptation. I continue to do the things I don't want to do. I confess you as Lord, but my life doesn't look like it. How do I begin to live this life? Say, God, you said that you would sanctify me. You would make me holy. You would make me pure through your word. So, God, I read your word. I meditate on your word. And then our hearts and our minds are transformed through the word of God. And that's how he does it. This whole trying harder thing just doesn't work for us because it was never supposed to be up to us. Jesus is the one who says, if you want to stay in the fire and not get burned, make sure the fire of God is inside of you first comes from the word of God. Let the word meditate on you as you meditate on it. We don't make ourselves holy. God does it. Doing what he instructs us to do through the word helps us be transformed by the word. James says, don't only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So we want the word of God to we read it, we meditate on it, we allow it to transform how we think, how we feel, and then we begin to act out on it so that we can be doers of the word. And that, what, that is what causes us to walk in righteousness, walk in holiness. Does that make sense? This shouldn't be difficult. Life is already hostile. The world is already out to get us. We don't need to continue to give into it and then beat ourselves up because we did. Let's change how we live, what we watch, what we listen to, because those things try to transform us into the image of the world rather than reading the word of God and letting it transform us into the image of Christ. He continues to say in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world and for their sake he says i consecrate myself meaning i set myself apart for a holy purpose what is he talking about there he's saying for their sake i go to the cross he says i have set myself apart why did i come i came to die i have consecrated myself for their sake i have set myself apart for holy purpose for a a movement to break sin off of their life so that they can stay in the world and not be given into the world. So they can be in it, but not of it. For their sake, I consecrate myself. I go to the cross for them, that they may also be sanctified. So not only does the word purifies us or makes us holy, the purification initially starts at the cross. It's the cross of Christ that died, his blood spilled for us, that we even had entrance into the presence of God. And for our sake, he lays it down, his life for us, so that we also may be purified in it. And that purification continues in truth, and knowing the truth, who is Christ, that sets us free. So my question this morning is, where do we pray? Where do we pray? It's not so much about a physical location as it is a spiritual understanding of where we pray in our relationship with Jesus. Because of what he's done for us on the cross, because of what he's doing in us through his word, we now have a a spiritual realm that we pray in as believers. And the first place that we pray in as followers of Jesus is a place of authority. I talked about to win the war in paintball, we needed to make sure we had good cover. And as believers, Jesus is our covering. He is the one who gives us the authority to speak against the enemy. And the enemy has to flee, not because of our own power or our own authority, but because we submit to his authority, which then gives us authority. We pray under his covering. Christ sent us into the world. He says, as I was sent by the Father With a mission, I now send my people out with a mission. Not under their own power, but under my power, under my authority. So when we pray for things, you notice how we always say at the end of the prayer, and in Jesus' name, amen, that's not some ritualistic thing that we just do because we don't know how to end a prayer. It's because we are reminding ourselves, or should be reminding ourselves, that everything that I am praying for is not through my authority. It is through His authority given to me by Him. So I pray in Jesus' name. I pray under the covering of Jesus, I ask for these things. You can even in your prayer that way. Under the covering of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It is in Him that we seek these things because we need Him to move on our behalf. We pray with authority, we pray from a place of authority. The second thing that we, the second place where we pray, We pray in a hostile world. The second thing that we need to make sure we win the battle, good covering and ammunition. You don't want to run out of bullets when you're trying to defend yourself. And prayer, it says, is a weapon against the enemy. When we pray, we are praying with ammunition, with the word of God. It says that the the word of God is a two-edged sword. And it actually, in the Greek, when you look at it, the double edge is the word of God first spoken to us or read to us when we read it. And then when we pray it, that's the other edge coming out of our mouth against the enemy. That's the two-edged sword from God to our hearts, from our hearts to what needs to be done. And we pray with ammunition. We pray with a weapon against this hostile world. We pray for a world that does not want us in it. Don't you think that's ironic? Isn't that strange that Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies? Because that is our our weapon of warfare, to love them to the point where they would surrender their lives and give it to Jesus. So we pray for peace when there's conflict. We pray that they would surrender, the whole world would surrender, and place their trust in Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And finally, as believers, we pray from a place of unity. We pray not only for unity, but from unity. When, again, when, when I played paintball, I needed to make sure that there were people with me that would have my back, they would have my six, because we, we pretended to be in the military. I needed people there. We needed teamwork to make the dream work. We needed it. And when we prayed together, Not only do we pray singly or individually, but we pray corporately as a body of believers because that's where power comes. Actually, the whole purpose of this prayer that Jesus was praying in this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 was for the unity of the church. It's the whole reason why he prayed it, that we would be unified. In fact, he says in verse 20 this, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the 12 that were with him. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning us. He's literally praying for us right now. And verse 21 says this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. We pray from a place of unity, desiring that the world would know Jesus. I say it time and time again that the world will know that we belong to him by the way we love each other. By the way we love each other. And we desire for the the world to know who Jesus is by the way we demonstrate who Jesus is to the world. The world is so divided that if the church would be united, it would be such a contrast that people would have to say, what is happening there? And I'm not just talking about this church, this body. We want unity here. We don't want gossip. We don't want backbiting. We don't want slander. In fact, those are the things that's a spirit of antichrist when we begin to talk bad about our brothers and sisters because we're not united. There's no division in the spirit of God or in the body of God. Jesus' body is not dislocated. But I'm also talking about the church at large, the capital C, the one that's in our community, the churches that around that are trying to reach people for Jesus the churches that are in our nation and around the world we pray that we would love each other and support one another and when God is doing something powerful in their church we celebrate it we don't get jealous we don't get upset because God's moving in them we say God what you're doing for them would you do for us too God would you pour out so that all of Madeira would know you that all the Central Valley would know you that California would be turned around for the glory of God we pray for the church Because when there's unity in the church, there's power released in the church. We pray not only from unity, but we pray for unity. It should be a prayer that we pray daily that God would unify his church. And in in Jesus's powerful prayer for his followers, he makes a clear distinction from those who follow him and those who do not follow him. Those who don't live a life. Those who don't follow Jesus live a life of selfishness, pride, and rebellion. They stand in opposition to God and his word. They reject his truth and live their own truth. And Jesus is not afraid to say that if you do not follow Jesus, these words define you whether you know it or not. If you've not submitted your heart to Christ and you don't say, Jesus, I follow you and I follow you alone, then these words define you. You're a part of the world. As harsh as that might seem because the world is set in opposition to God. And and if you don't have a relationship with God, you've not been forgiven for the sin, then you are still in opposition to God. But the beauty of what Jesus did for us is that he gives us a choice today to turn from what the world calls good and acceptable and turn to God in his truth, seeking to obey him. He gives us a chance even in our rebellion To turn towards him. And that's the truth for everybody. Nobody was born a Christian. I don't care what family you were born into. I don't care how much times your mama prayed for you. You were not born a Christian. It's your decision to follow Jesus. And your decision alone. There are people praying for you. That you would be open to that. But it has to be a choice that you make. And he gives that to all of us. All of us at one point were in open rebellion to God. Living for ourselves. Choosing to do what we thought was right. Until we surrender to him. And it's a simple thing to do. We just choose today to trust his word above our own word. To recognize our need for him. And that we're not in charge. That he is. And we put our hope in Jesus. To save us and free us from our sin. It's a simple thing to do. It doesn't seem simple sometimes. It doesn't seem Easy in the moments when we feel God tugging on our hearts and we feel this constant tension between what we want to do and what God wants to do in us. But it's simple to say, Jesus, I choose to surrender and have you be the Lord of my life.